Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of Midweek Mind Candy. We are so grateful that you've taken time out of your day to join us. We hope you've had a beautiful one or are in the middle of a beautiful one, and this just adds to your day. Right? We just want to give you a little bit of mind candy and something to think about, something to your mind to play with for the week to see how the word we're going to talk about today fits into your life. My name is Stacey Johnston. Honored to be here with you and equally as honored to sit alongside my co-host, Cassie Holland. Cassie, how are you today? I'm doing great. I am blessed and grateful and alive to talk about it. So I have no complaints. How are you? Absolutely. I'm wonderful. It's been a beautiful day. It's not 34 degrees and the wind's not blowing and it's not 110. So I'll take all those things. Um, I'm blessed beyond measure. You know, I was thinking earlier about these podcasts, these, these particular ones that we do with these words and why I get intrigued by it. You know, and I, I play with the thesaurus, and you and I talk about words along the way, but we don't really decide what word we're going to do until we start. And I love the challenge of it. I love to just open a word wide open that nobody has any idea what we're going to talk about till we do, because I love the, uh, you know, the together but the different in all of it. Even though we're all looking at this apple, we see that apple three different ways. And this podcast really helps me appreciate that. Right, that, that we can all see the same goal and come at it from different directions, and nobody's wrong, right? And, and that's okay. So I think that brings that home for me, and I love it. How about you, Cass? What, is, what do you gain from this? Well, um, I will say that there is a masquerade of tiny children screaming because they're pretending to be stuck in a tornado. So... I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, I love the, the image. <laughs> yes. Yeah. themselves around the pole on the carport. They're like, ah, it's a tornado. Really, it's just, you know, I think, and I've mentioned before the, the likelihood of, Ben and I running into the store and running into each other and having the same type of conversation that we're going to have is slim to none, right? So I get an opportunity to gain wisdom from people that I normally wouldn't have the opportunity to learn from. I love it. I'm glad that you find intrigue in it, you know, and that it adds something to your life. That's so important. I, I love that it adds. Let's bring our guest into that. We have a gentleman returning with us. He was kind enough to be on an Uncaped Heroes podcast and has agreed to join us tonight. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ben, and I'm going to butcher your last name, so I'm going to let you say it. Kentish. There you go. Welcome, Ben Kentish. How are you tonight? I'm good, and I want to start by complimenting you. You did a great job repeating my name properly. Uh, Just remember, it rhymes with mintish, as if that's a word. Oh, there you go. Okay. It's like other pertaining to mint. But anyway, (laughs) Kentish. Um, I think it's some mysterious Eastern European language. We think it means either childish or family table. I like the former better than the latter. Um, but if it's a good table, I could work with the latter too. There you go. It matters who's at your table. So that, by the way, is not What intrigued you about coming on? It's okay. What intrigued you about coming on to have this conversation with us, this random conversation about a word you don't even know yet? Oh, well, I mean, I'll start with the easy part. I like 
I like you, so if I have a good conversation with the host and they say I want to talk to you again, I'm like, yes, please, because I'm a talker and I enjoy meeting people. So that's an easy yes. Um, but separately, the, the specific angle I love because I think about words a lot. Look, my, uh, the reason I'm doing the, the podcast appearances is to talk about my musical, Life Review, the hospice musical. And um, in writing a musical, I wrote the lyrics to 16 songs that made it in and probably a dozen or so more that didn't make it all the way to the final stage, so to speak. So as a songwriter in general and for a musical, one particular musical project in particular, I think about words a lot. Um, I think about rhyme. I think about metaphor and simile. I count syllables, which is a thing that a lot of songwriters do. Um, I think about playing with words. I grew up the son of a a self-proclaimed inveterate punster, my father, who's still around, who still makes terrible puns. So, like, I have that muscle well-developed. I, I tend to hide it away because I don't want to be socially ostracized. Um, but it serves me well when I write funny songs because I can turn a phrase like nobody's business and um, <laughs> it kind of pours out of me in a, in a – it's not totally effortless, but when I get going, I'm rather fast. So I will fill up several pages. Like once I have a song idea, it's usually like I'm swimming and I think of a phrase and that's the song title. Then I like dry off, thumb it into my phone. And then another evening when I'm ready to write a song, I look through the titles and I say, ooh, I'll write that one. And then I'll sit down and I'll take out my, uh, my journal book, usually decorated, and I'll write, 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 write. So in a sense, it's like a torrent of words. Um, and then, you know, like eight, nine, ten verses for a song that will end up with two verses and a bridge and a chorus. Um, but then eventually I edit down, so I'm cutting and cutting. But it's all about the words for me, in quantity and quality, I hope. <laughs> well, here we go. Let's bring one, then you can write a new song about. Today we're going to talk about the word clarity. So when you hear the word clarity, then what's your first definition? Um, finding truth in the pen or the word or the song. Okay, beautiful. Kathy, for you, what's clarity? Honestly, I have to be honest. The first thing that I thought of when you said clarity was, I can see clearly now, but <laughs> I love it. Why did you stop so fast? It was sounding great. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think clarity is like a light bulb, right? Like a like an aha moment, you know. And it it doesn't usually come when you expect it. It you know it happens when you're you're doing something else, and you're like, oh, I get it because something mm. else happened. So mm. I think once you, once you realize that everything is connected and everything happens for a reason, right? Clarity becomes easier. Mm. Right. Seven clarity. Light bulb. I like it. A light bulb. 
you know, I think for me, again, I, I have a, a, my own personal challenge when we do these words. When I look at clarity on the outside, I see truth, right? So clarity equals truth. I'm clear on that now. I understand it all. I have all the information. I can take this position. I can feel this way. I can announce this because I'm clear, right? That's, that's my outside perception of the word clarity. But if I take that word and I turn it inside, that, that's a challenge for me to make sure that my thoughts, my goals, my dreams, my, how I feel about love or life or children or the war or sex, those are clear to me. And I have that kind of clarity because then I can speak my own truth. And so I think it's, it's important to me. That's one of the things that I pray for is like, you know, I can see all the information, but sometimes we can't see the forest because of all of the trees. And so one of the things I ask for on the daily is clarity to see what you want me to see, right? What is my, where should my focus be? So clarity for me, I think, is that. Ben? You know, I'm also, as I, as I heard the, your two versions, um, you know, I, I'm a, uh, a Jewish person and actually a Jewish clergy person. So um, I have that religious orientation, but I've spent a lot of time with Christian colleagues in my chaplaincy training. Uh, the musical you heard me mention is has a, a chaplain character and uh, he was inspired by me. I remember sitting around the table and the word clarity would often come up along with discernment. That's a phrase that Jews don't usually use, but Christians do a lot, right? Discernment. And um, one of the things that we would try to find clarity slash discernment about was kind of making meaning of some really painful stuff that we were dealing with in our chaplaincy training. Um, I'm, I'm remembering in particular that first year in the hospice where my training was in a residential hospice center and, um, you know, tons of life and death stuff. I mean, it's, maybe it sounds obvious to say, but like a lot of that can be quite heavy emotionally, but also depending on the situation can kind of shake you theologically. So we had to, as part of our process, not just process our feelings, we, we had to be clear about the feelings we were going through and kind of, that, that was part of the process, to kind of name what we were going through, the pain or the challenges, the stress, whatever it is. Um, but also, we, we were encouraged to articulate some very challenging positions, or rather, articulate our particular um, positions on challenging issues that we kept running up against, you know, life and death question, the place of God in terms of pain and suffering. Um, you mentioned before, everything happens for a reason. Well, that phrase, reassuring as it is, very problematic in a medical setting, right? Or it can be. Um, what, you know, if you have someone who, God forbid, is dying of cancer at a, quote, young age, does that happen for a reason? Ugh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't personally like that theology. I bless you to have yours, right? But I, I'm able to kind of riff like that because I spent a lot of time wrestling in thorny 
study and discussions and so forth with heavy things because if you're going to work in a field such as hospice care, you're going to spend all day with a certain amount of, uh, of heaviness. So you need to be clear about how you, how you feel about all that in every sense. I, I, sorry, there's a big truck. I totally agree with that. Mom, my mother and my stepfather are both walking that hospice journey right now. Mm-hmm. Um, both with dementia, you know, different forms of dementia and Alzheimer's. And it's <clears throat> watching them walk through that and understanding exactly what you're saying. You, you, it's so hard. Some of it is so hard. But I think the more as a family member, the more clarity I get on my relationship with my mom, my relationship with my stepdad, right, that I don't have a time in my life that I want to go back and redo. And I'm grateful for that, that we've had the relationship that we've had. <clears throat> and so I think that's where it's so easy to get caught up in the emotion of all of it, right? And, mm. and the world right now is um, cloudy. Cloudy, right, maybe is a, is a good word for it. And so I think there's a lot of people that are seeking that place to go stand where it's clear, where they can see and they can have some clarity and truly understand. Um, I think there's a huge need for that. But I see a lot of people around the world opening up space and going, it's okay to not be okay over here. Come on, let's get better together. You know, we're all walking each other home. That concept has been proven through these conversations that we have to be kind of a worldwide thing, you know? It's beautiful to see. So, Cassie, how about you? each other home. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Borrowed from my co-host. Yeah. So, Cassie, how about you? How often do you think that that clarity, I'm sorry, my life is a circus. There's there's not kids, there's dogs. Um, How often do you think that people struggle with clarity versus want? Ben, go. Um, can, can you say that interesting question a little bit different? <laughs> yeah, no. Do you think that people struggle with the clarity on their their needs versus versus what they think they need, right? What they Oh, sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, for, for all kinds of reasons. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've mentioned I'm, I'm a teacher and a parent and like our kids, but also all of us, children and adults, we consume a ton of media. Um, and a lot of it is free and paid for with advertising. And that affects what we want. And um, I, I'm aware of consumer culture, especially because I happen to have a seventh grade daughter. Um, but I'm also aware of how the various kinds of shiny things, be it di- distracting games and toys or, I don't know, 
I, I think a certain amount of frivolous distraction is healthy and wonderful, so I'm not going to impugn video games or phone gaming. I think that's all lovely. Um, but you were asking about discerning what, the difference between want and need? Yeah. So, so, th- so I'll tackle it as an elementary school teacher. I spend a lot of time with kids who want stuff that they don't actually need, and they can't necessarily discern the difference, which is developmentally appropriate, especially if they're only children or even if they have siblings and their parents drop everything when the child says, I want a snack, the, the parent's answer is, I'm stopping my adult conversation and getting you food. Like, with love, that is messed up for your kid because it trains them to think that the world stops when you have a small urge. But the reality is when you get closer and closer to adulthood, your small urges, be they food or fidgetiness or even romantic slash sexual they are not typically answered at a whim. You spend a lot of time learning to tame them (laughs) and enjoy them in privacy or like at the right time if it's just food, right? Um, I think I've had this conversation recently with a lot of (laughs) colleagues. There's this post-COVID thing with a lot of children where they think they need water and snacks and movement at all times. And we have to train them to be in school again, even two years later. Um, And part of it is to untrain them from believing that when they want a snack, they need a snack. Or when they want to take a break at the beginning of class that they literally just arrived to, I'm like, no, you don't need a break. You just got here. But they think they need a break, but what it is they want a break. And, (laughs) and, And that's a little bit of a push and pull that will probably continue between them and their grown-ups for the rest of their life. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get into those habits, right? Yeah, sometimes we do. So then when you're working with people and you're working with someone and, and you're creating these songs, right? How much do you think that clarity and the need for that plays in to fear? Because sometimes people want to know, but they don't want to know, right? They, they want to get better, but they don't because if, even as messed up as that situation is, they know how to do that. Stacey, I think I, I know what you're asking, and I love this question. Um, I was just talking last night with my dear friend and first collaborator, Jason Spiewak, and he and I co-wrote the first songs in the musical, and I'll tell you that the first co-write was lovely easy. He got the lyric and he said, this is beautiful and I'm looking forward to writing it. And he said it to some gorgeous music on piano and it was like awesome. The second thing I brought to him, I thought was great. For the record, it was not at all great. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a dance song. So, okay, that, that adds some liveliness to a hospice show. But, uh, the conceit of the song was terrible. It was built around a pun that was leaning heavily on a term that no one uses for the help in a, in a facility anymore. Um, the word is orderly. And for the record, never in my recent career have I ever heard someone call, to, call GNAs and housekeeping orderly. It's just like not a term that's used. 
But as a songwriter, I was like, ooh, I could do a, sort of a play on words. Like, the orderlies are going to say, keep it orderly. And, like, I presented this lyric sheet to my friend Jason, and he looked at it, and he read it, and he turned to me, and he's like, this isn't it. And I, this is very early in our collaboration, by the way. So I was not, um, not resilient in terms of, of hearing critique. And I sort of got crestfallen. And Jason goes, Ben, if you want to be co-writers, you need to trust my taste and trust when you bring me something good, I will say this is good and we'll move forward. If I say it's not good, you want to trust that as well. And it can't be personal. So pick your head up. He's like, do you have any other songs in that book? And then I like thumbs through and I found something that I didn't know was anything. He's like, that's a ballad right there. I can write that. And he said, take that, go home, edit that, and then email it to me. And I did, and it became a gorgeous song that still made it into the show. So there's a huge lesson in there, like, in, especially in creative collaboration. Um, but, I mean, I was, like, we're, your question was about songwriting, so I'll, I'll answer it as a songwriter. Anytime you work with another creative person if you want to make something authentically together you have to assume you're not going to have the same ideas otherwise why would you work with another person so some of those ideas are going to mesh beautifully and sometimes they're going to clash a little or like sort of rub in a funny way and then there's like a little bit of a dance and you have to have um a trusting as jason was getting at in that apocryphal story of the bad song, bad song lyric, um, you have to trust that your collaborator's sense of taste or style or lyrics or whatever it is, um, is, is worth something. I mean, Jason, to his credit, is a, a guy who gets to vote for the Grammy because he's been on several professional recordings, like commercial recordings, as a studio musician. He's that level. And he's written songs that have been recorded by real people. Not superstars, but he's good. Um, so his opinion on my lyrics really matters. Now, the flip side, when I have produced for him songs that he likes, and he turns to me and he says, this rings the bell, that's the biggest compliment I can receive from anyone I know. And he delivers it totally, like, understated. No jazz hands. I'm all jazz hands. <laughs> he's no jazz hands. But you know that praise, if you get it, it means the world. Oh, oh, you know, you're talking to two people that grew up as dancers. I, I grew up in a dance household. My mother was a dance teacher. I danced. My, all my girls danced. So we totally get that phrase. <laughs> oh, what? To ring the bell? Yes, to all of it. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, take the bell, right? All of it. So I think you, yeah, just like you said, it's a, it's a music thing. It's a moment of clarity. I totally, I resonate with that. How about that? Kathy, how about you? Constructive yeah. criticism is uh, a hard pill to swallow sometimes because it's done with the best of intentions. But to be clear, it's not that hard or it's not that easy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, was there ever a, a moment for you 
of clarity where you thought, this is it, this is what I'm going to do? Well, with this pro, I think with this with this project life review. I mean, I've had a very interesting kind of zigzag career. <laughs> For more on that, <laughs> Google my name and podcast. And several recent interviews are all about my wacky career. Um, but I'll try to stay focused here. Clarity in terms of my life review process. I had a song early on, the very first song I shared in public. Um, Maybe the dance analogy is your first big recital where you take it out of the studio and you put it on the stage. But for a songwriter, the big scary moment is when you take the song out of your journal and you dare share it in public, whether it's at a song swap or a coffee house or an open mic. Um, Anyone listening who's ever made something creative, you know what I'm talking about. Whether you've shared it or whether your stuff is sitting in a drawer. Um, And as as talented as I, as I am, and I'm proud to say that, and, and the fact that I've now created and finished a musical, that's not who I was 10 years ago, or I guess it's eight years ago, nine years ago, whatever, a while ago, when I first shared this song in public. But here's what happened. I was at this conference. I sang this song. It's called Will It Still Snow? It's a, a ballad um, where a, a dying woman imagines life after her death. Um, and... And I sang this song. The melody wasn't even finished, but the lyric was pretty close to cooked. Uh, that is done. And um, I looked up, maybe 20 people in the room, and at least 10 or 12 were crying. And that was only after two and a half minutes of a not-quite-finished song. And I kind of thought to myself, like, my goal was not to make 15 people cry today, but... Um, Something just happened. And um, as, a, as, as proof of that, right after the song swap was done, um, the, the moderator, a wonderful songwriter uh, named Sue Horowitz, look her up, you won't be disappointed. Beautiful folk singer-songwriter. Anyway, she, um, she said, Ben, you've created something of great power here. Is there any more material? And I said, there is. And she said, you need to keep working on it. So that was a moment of clarity to hear from someone who I knew to be not just a, a so-called rando, like a, a person who said, hey, nice song, but this was a woman of impressive expertise. You know, she's put out some albums and, she, you know, she's really good. Um, I needed to hear that to have the nerve to keep going on this rather audacious task because, you know, a musical is typically between 10 and 20 songs. And if you've never done that before, with or without composer friends, it's a, it's a, it's a big project, right? <laughs> so right. I had the idea for quite a while and had started sketching out these songs, but the moment of clarity was, um, was sharing it with others and having that, that powerful reaction. Beautiful. I love that, just to see the impact of what you do, you know? <clears throat> that if it, if it impacts or brings an emotion out of one person, then it was worth it. What if you didn't sing it? What if you didn't play that song that night? All right, beautiful. Kathy, how about you? Well, what is an inspirational moment for you? I was in 
this is going to take this to a whole different level. But I was in an AA meeting one time. And it was in a bingo hall. And I was surrounded by uh, a rough mixture of people. (laughs) I'm like, grew up in a Western setting. I was just, anyways, there was a lot of different people in this room. I must have had a weird look on my face because the guy in front of me turned around and looked at me and he said, don't worry. You're just like the rest of us. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And in that moment, I realized that addiction does not care. It doesn't care who your parents are, where you came from, who your dad is you're married to if you have kids if you don't have kids it doesn't matter doesn't care I learned right then to not be judgy mm. what a beautiful lesson real quick <laughs> mm. that's a beautiful lesson in that moment of clarity probably changed a lot of things for you just in that path yeah, sure it is. Oh, love that. <clears throat> I love that concept. You know, I think being my age, right, I've liked from both of you. I've got grandbabies on the ground, um, mm. and they're they're beautiful, right? I love my grandchildren. They're amazing. They're they're the they're a gift for sure. Um, and I'm going to narrow it down to recently. You know, I I was had some moments of clarity recently with my mom. You know, I had one of those days when my whole life I wanted something I could pick up the phone and call my mom. You know, from what kind of flour it is, how do you cook that chicken, how come you didn't kill me when I was 14, right? Whatever it was, I could call her. And as we were walking through this process process, it, it just really kept making me sad, right? I kept finding saddest where I found. And I finally had that moment of clarity just to recognize it's okay that we've had that last kind of conversation because this is a new place for us and I don't have any regrets. And so that, I think that has changed the process for me. <clears throat> so I'm going to think that's probably my, my most recent moment of clarity is that it's okay, you know, to go to that next place. Um, I think you get so many of them. I think once you hit being a grandparent, you get so much clarity about where you are as a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, as you watch your children carry forward, right, what do they take? What have you lost? How many times do you hear yourself come out of their mouth? Right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's so many moments that you're going to catch along the way. And you both are young enough. You've got young children that are just going through it. <clears throat> so you have a lot of those experiences and a lot of moments of clarity to come. But um, I've learned to appreciate them. It's uh, gratitude. Once you get there, then it's easy, to, it's easy to see both sides, right? The law of polarity says that for as much evil is on one side, in equal measure of is good on the other side, just like up and down, in and out. And so where do you choose to hang out? And I think, I think sometimes that takes clarity on where you are so you can decide where you're going. So I, I know, ladies and gentlemen, I've loved having this conversation. We could keep going. But uh, I think we are regretful at a time where we're going to have to find a place to wind down. So... 
uh, with respect to you being an end of your day as a teacher and with, to our guests as well. So I would love for everybody to remember that we're brought to you by Enlighten Up and Guided by Grace. If we can serve you in some way, if we can, you've got a story you want to tell, you've got a word you want to chat about, please reach out to us at herobuilder2020 at gmail.com. We are interested in what you have to say. I'm going to start the rest of my goodbye by saying thank you, Ben, so much for being willing to just jump into this conversation and uh, learn about clarity and share your wisdom with us. I'm so grateful to you. Good luck in your school year and uh, continue to bless the folks you touch. Kathy, how would you like to leave our audience today with clarity? With a challenge, right? And my challenge for our audience is to define clarity, right? Define clarity for yourself. See if it doesn't change your perspective on some situations. Mm. I love your challenges. You know, they come in a simple sentence, but they are deep if you decide to take them on. So I hope someone does. I hope they take them on through it. And thank you, as always, Cass, for your time and your wisdom and your contribution to what we do. Ben, we would be honored if you'd take the stage and close our show. How would you like to leave our audience today with clarity? Well, in the name of clarity, I'll, uh, I'll be brief. And then in the name of self-indulgence, I'll offer uh, a wee bit of song. Um, so the, the suggestion for clarity is pick up a pen and write. You don't have to be a songwriter. But um, we all have minds that go a mile a minute with our, you know, confusions, our stresses, our anxieties, our so-called lizard brain or squirrel brain chasing the next thing that we see out the window. Um, But uh, I find for me that when I slow down and put pen to paper, whether it's songwriting specifically or more generally kind of journaling and reflecting, um, I found that tremendously helpful. And I encourage you to, to try it yourself. Pick up a pen and write. And uh, 